welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And on today's show, we are talking with the amazing actress, Jo Beth Williams. You will probably remember her. She's done so many great ensemble casts from The Big Chill and Poltergeist. And yes, I did ask if anything freaky happened on Poltergeist because inquiring minds would want to know. And you need to listen to find <laughs> out. Yes. <laughs> and the answer is yes. Something yes. weird did in 1993, she was part of another incredible ensemble cast for the show, Chantilly Lace. And actresses including Ali Sheedy and Talia Shire were with her in the cast. And they decided to do a sequel called Chantilly Bridge, which is out actually this week. And so Jo Beth was very nice to come on and tell us about what to expect on the new movie. But also we talked about her career, how she loves the theater, how she is still one of the producers for the SAG Awards and what she's looking forward to doing and how she views the role of social media in today's acting world. And it was an interesting conversation about that. Oh, yeah, it, it was. And I, I really enjoyed talking to her, learning about things uh, that were going on, what she felt like when she was doing these roles and asking her, did you know that some of these uh, roles that you did were going to become classics that people watch every year? The Our, big chill, I mean. The big chill. Oh, my gosh. You know, and she said, you'll find out. You need to listen. Yes, <laughs> so exactly. Find out what she said. Don't tell I'm them. I'm going to tell you. You have to listen. <laughs> Before we get started, we want to remind you guys that all of our show notes and links are on our website, hotflashescooltopics.com, and that you can sign up for our email list. Just go to the website and a pop-up will appear. Put in your email and you'll start getting our newsletters. We do not inundate people with information. We are lucky to get the email out every two to three weeks. So you would definitely not <laughs> yeah, it's be a quick. It's a quick one page. You're not, you're not going to have to hardly scroll at all. Yeah. But easy. we have some exciting things coming up, and you'll be the first to know about them. We are going to start the conversation with Joe Beth Williams, and we'll talk to you after. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, we are going to have an amazing conversation with Emmy-nominated, Golden Globe-nominated, Oscar-nominated actress Joe Beth Williams. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here on your show. Well, we're thrilled to have you talk about your newest movie coming out, Chantilly Bridge, which is actually a sequel from the 1993 movie. How did this come about? Well, both movies are very dear to my heart because they are done by women and you know there are virtually no men. There's one man in the first one, um, but we don't ever really see his face. Uh, he's the pizza boy. Um, they both came out of our brilliant director, writer, producer, Linda Yellen. Uh, she and I were at a party here in Los Angeles, low these 30-something years ago, and we were talking about how hard it was for women over 40 in our business to... Uh, not only for actresses, but also for directors. Uh, and Linda is a wonderful director. And we talked about how wonderful it would be to be able to create a movie that, that had only actresses in it. 
And lo and behold, she came up with this idea um, for a movie called Chantilly Lace. And it was seven actresses, wonderful actresses. It was um, mostly improvised, although there was a structure, uh, a Bible, if you will, that was created by Linda. We got to have input on our own characters and our own relationships to each other. And it was about a group of friends. And it was a wonderful experience. We shot it at Sundance. Um, and then it was under the auspices of Showtime, and it aired on Showtime. And then it happened that maybe four years ago, I know it was right before the pandemic, three years ago maybe, uh, Linda and I were having lunch together in New York, and uh, here we are, 70 plus, <laughs> and we were seeing, oh, you know... <laughs> If only there were more roles for women our age and more jobs for directors our age. And I said, wouldn't it be fun to make a sequel to uh, Chandilly Lace, all those same women 30-something years later? And she said, well, that would be wonderful. And I said, the only problem is my character died in the first one. So... <laughs> There wouldn't be much for me to do. And she said, well, you could play your younger sister. And I thought about that. And I thought, at first I said, oh, that would be fun. And then I thought, no, that, that would be weird. I don't think it would work unless I was a twin, which I, I wasn't. So I said, no, I don't think I'll play that. And so Pat Richardson played my younger sister in the new one, Chantilly Bridge, and she's wonderful. She's wonderful. And the same actresses are back, Talia Shire, uh, Lindsay Krauss, Jill Eikenberry, Ali Sheedy, Helen Slater. Um, I know I'm leaving someone out, but they're all wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> they're really, really good. And a lovely new actress uh, is in this one playing uh, Helen Slater's daughter. So uh, I got to be the narrator uh, dead Natalie, um, was narrating from somewhere on high, I guess, overlooking them all. Uh, and there are flashbacks from the first movie, uh, which I'm in. But it, it's just so thrilling to see all these women all this time later, and they're still gorgeous, and they're still so talented, and they're, they all have had really interesting lives, both the characters and the actresses. Um, so it's just, to me, it's been a great experiment that has really, um, really paid off. Is this one improvised as well, like the first one? It is. It is. Okay. It is, yes. Again, Linda had a structure, and of course, in this one, we already knew the relationships between the characters, but she created events based on what the actress's input was on what they'd like their characters to do. You know, what at what point in their lives one is forced into retirement, um, you know, one is having health issues. Um, so so we they all got to kind of pick what kind what jobs they had and what had happened in their lives. And then she created a sort of structure around that and then we, they, and I, in the first one, improvised. 
Um, I did not improvise the narration because it was important that it really be precise to because it's also involved in editing the movie together. So, so that Linda wrote for me, and uh, and I think it's a beautiful movie, and it's going to be streaming starting April fourteenth in a lot of places. So that's very exciting. Since you were narrating, were you able to be on set at all, or was that done remotely? It was done um, remotely pretty much after the shooting. I think during the shooting, she did send me a few pieces and asked me to just record them not to be used, but just so they would have an idea of of what I would be saying. Um, but I was not with them. They were in uh, upstate New York in December, and um, I felt that I wasn't really needed in the middle of the ice and the snow uh, <laughs> in a cabin, uh, although a very luxurious cabin. But uh, so I did not go for the shoot. I was only involved um, after. Well, I think that probably made it seem more real because if that were the situation, if they were really, they were thinking about you, missing you in the movie, that would make it seem more real if you weren't on the set. I, I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking. I agree. I think it would have been weird for them um, to be calling back to what happened and my death and all of that um, and have me there, you know, offset going, hi, everybody. <laughs> so I think it was probably for the best. Yeah. We have spoken with some amazing, we call them primetime women, when we talk to actresses over 50 that are still very active in their field, women like Linda Pearl and Bess Armstrong and several others that really have stayed consistently working throughout their careers. Do you find that there are more opportunities now opening up for women of our 50-plus demographic in movies and Netflix and TV? I do. I really do. I'm very grateful for that. I mean, there's there's much more content now, thanks to streaming. And television particularly really opened the doors for women. And now films are too. And then we have, you know, wonderful people like Reese Witherspoon, who is creating brilliant content and with her company, Hello Sunshine, uh, for women, she's got, she's surrounded by women in her office. She's, you know, she loves working with female directors and writers. Um, so I do think, I think things have changed. I, you know, you look at uh, 80 for Brady and you look at those women who have just held on and stayed strong and in the center of things. And it's, uh, you know, they're so to be admired. And I feel like, those kind of women have really helped us all become more acceptable as we age. Yeah, you know, and just look at this the Academy Awards this year. Look at the the female uh, lead actress. Michelle Yeoh. And yeah, and look at Jamie Lee Curtis winning these awards. That that was a great feeling. And, you know, just the, the speech that Michelle Yeoh made <laughs> using the prime women right back in it. You know, just don't let anyone tell you that you're past your prime. And and you also do a lot of work with SAG, uh, with the SAG Foundation. Can right. you talk a little bit about the SAG Foundation and what it does? Well, I was president for um, 
I think about 11 years of the SAG, it's now the SAG After Foundation since our unions merged. Um, and it is a charity that helps um, actors in our unions in need. You know, I remember when I was thinking about being an actress and someone said, well, you know, um, in, in this actress said, you know, in, in our primary union Screen Actors Guild, 90% of people are out of work at any given time. And that sort of gave me pause as to you know, whether I really wanted to pursue it. And so I think most people think that all actors make a lot of money and it's a very glamorous life. And that is only true for really a very small handful. Even people who are famous and who you see on television and all of that, many of them go through periods where they can't get work or they are ill or, you know, disaster happens, hurricanes and earthquakes. And we have members all over the country, actually all over the world now. And so our charity is there to help those people when they are in need. And we also provide wonderful services like casting uh, lessons, how to audition for a job. Um, you know, uh, uh, you can come to uh, the SAG building, SAG after building, and we have recording studios where you can record auditions or learn to use uh, microphones and you know, how to Zoom and all of that kind of stuff. So we have classes, too, that uh, are all free. Were you producing the SAG Awards? Are you still producing the SAG Awards? I'm still one of the producers of the SAG Awards show. What's that like? (laughs) You know, it's very exciting. It gets very intense, of course, like the month or two before the award show. And uh, it's it's a small group of us. It's five actors. one of whom is Jason George. I'm sure you know him from Station 19 and uh, Elizabeth McLaughlin and Daryl Anderson and uh, Woody Schultz. And so we are all on standby constantly for the the run up to the show because we have to make all the decisions about, you know, uh, okaying uh, who will be presenting and okaying um who is going to be our director and who is going to design it and okaying the designs and what will the tables look like and what kind of food will be served. So it's, it's fun. It's fun, but it it does get very intense. I would imagine. Yeah. It sounds like a a lot of work. (laughs) And for free. Right. (laughs) And you don't get paid. (laughs) You have worked with some, absolutely incredible ensemble casts and is there is there an energy that you find working with ensemble casts that you might not have found doing a narration like Chantilly Bridge that just that kind of energy going off of each other is different absolutely I think it's the most fun about being an actor it's one of the reasons I love theater because we get to play off each other and off the whole cast and all the people we're working with night after night. And in film and everything, it's broken up often into two-person scenes or a monologue or two or three people. Um, But on a movie like The Big Chill, for example, we were all living uh, in the same condo complex in South Carolina. We were shooting in Beaufort, South Carolina. 
Um, we were all playing Trivial Pursuit every night. You know, we were all actually our, our director, Lawrence Kasdan, called everybody to the set every day so that even if we weren't in scenes so that we could all be together and our presence could all be together in that house. And we had four weeks rehearsal, which I didn't realize was unheard of at that time. Um, so, and then doing Chantilly Lace and, um, and the fun of getting to know all those women. Cause I only knew a couple of them before we started and um, spending time and working off each other. It was great fun. It was, it, it's the excitement of being an actor is not knowing what's going to happen and having to just respond to whatever it is. With Chantilly Lace, for the final act, it was basically in three acts. There was a, a, a bridal shower, a birthday, and then a death. And we all drew straws for who would die. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so we're all drawing straws and Lindsay Krauss drew second and she screamed and I thought oh whew, she's drawn the short straw no she was just so relieved that she hadn't so <laughs> I then drew the short straw and I had 10 minutes to go off and figure and and make a goodbye video to all of my friends decide how I died why I, it was now, you know, what I wanted to say on the video. So that was interesting. <laughs> um, but you never know, you know, in, in those kind of situations, you'll never know what'll be thrown at you. And that's, that's the fun of it. Yeah. You know, you've been in such classics like Poltergeist and The Big Chill. Did you know while you were making those movies that those would become such big hits and have still such a great following, like something that people watch every year. Uh, no, we didn't have a clue. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. I mean, when, when Craig Nelson and I were making Poltergeist, we would, because of course, we didn't know what the special effects were going to look like. So we're just kind of screaming at a stick that Steven Spielberg or Toby Hooper, our director, were holding up. And we didn't know what it was going to be. And we kind of look at each other and go, well, this will probably go straight to the drive-in. I mean, we did figure that with Steven Spielberg writing it and producing it and being so involved that it would get some attention. But we had no idea it would be a big hit. No, or that years later, people would still be watching it. Um, and the same with The Big Chill. It was a little movie nobody wanted to make. It was turned down by seven studios. And then finally, Johnny Carson's production company said, well, we'll get involved. And, uh, and so we thought we were making this little movie that maybe a few people would see. And it wasn't until it was shown at the, at the Toronto Film Festival and it won um, the People's Choice Award, People's Award for that is pop popularity, uh, that we realized that people really did want to see it. And uh, and I think the studio was very surprised, too, that it did as well as it did. Um, but I love that it has really, you know, people still watch it. In fact, here in L.A., the, the movie channel is doing a film festival and they're showing The Big Chill in celebration of its 40th anniversary, which is very fun. Wow. 
Wow. I, I, to me, I'm like, that's really been 40 years. Well, even <laughs> when you said 1993 was 30 years, I was like, what? Oh, I was like, yeah, right. it is. that's all. <laughs> yep. Okay. That would be correct. Yeah. Up on you. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. Did anything weird happen on that set with Poltergeist? Like, did anything creepy happen on it? I just, I'm so curious to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you're doing that kind of movie, it's, you know, you, you tend to be a little <laughs> razzled anyway. And it was, a, it was a very hard, for me, very hard physically, uh, the shoot. Um, you know, I, I learned that when you read a script, don't ignore the stage direction that says Diane falls into a muddy swimming pool with skeletons. Because <laughs> when I first read the script, that kind of went, oh, yeah, okay. You know, well, then it was days and days in the mud. And I thought that the skeletons were props. I thought they were made by the prop department. But I found out some years later that they were actually real skeletons. And I thought, if I had known that, I don't know if I could have gotten into that mess yeah that was yeah. always a rumor but I never knew for sure well now you that do was true <laughs> and I'm like true. now I've heard it from the person another show that you did that really stuck with me was Adam and you were Emmy nominated for that and that that was about a child who was kidnapped it was right before all the news about child kidnapping came out how hard was it to do that film it was really really hard First of all, because we were playing real people. You know, um, Dan Travanti and I were playing <clears throat> John Walsh and Reve Walsh's wife, the parents of Adam Walsh, uh, who had been through that and who had had their child's body found in another area decapitated. I mean, it, it, was, it was really painful to do it. I wasn't a parent at the time, but... Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and of course, we felt a, a real obligation to these people that we were playing to be as truthful to them as we could. Um, so it was very, very hard and painful to do. John Walsh was around a lot. Reve was around some, but John was around and we got to know him. And he was very intense, but he was very together and, you know, wanted this to be done because he was driven by this and it was really pretty amazing what happened afterwards because really it was it was the beginning of awareness of 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 the what happens to children and and ultimately with John's Walsh's fervor there was created across the country um a um a system, a computerized system of missing children and raised awareness. And suddenly you saw signs missing, you know, missing. Uh, now we get Amber Alerts on our phone. That, that really started with um, that situation, that story, and, and John Walsh. Right. I remember that movie in the scene when you're all in the hotel room when they find out. I was like, that, you know, who knows what you would do if you had that happen to you. And an, another one that I watched, I remember intently watching when it came out, was Baby M. And so you go from one parent to this other parent with a whole different thing. How was that playing that 
actual person. That was that was wild. That was strange. Um, A because at that time, you know, she was so um, she was on the media all the time, Mary Beth Whitehead, and so I really felt that I had to be true to what you know what we knew from the publicity of who this woman was also at the same time I was trying to get pregnant oh wow and so it was very strange to be playing this woman who agrees to be a surrogate and give up her baby and then changes her mind and uh it was uh I felt really kind of torn um between you know the family who who's who's egg it was whose sperm it was and and her and in my own life what was going on so you know sometimes uh sometimes things just come together in a certain way um that make it uh even more difficult wow that <laughs> makes it but really it's interesting <laughs> yes very intense yeah Mm-hmm. The way that celebrities have been in the 80s and 90s, we have spoken to several that say we're so glad that they didn't have social media back when <laughs> we were really hitting our stride. How is it different for the actors that you work with now that are a little younger coming into this space of popularity? Do you have advice for them? Do you just kind of look and go turn off the social media? Don't go down that road. I have I have worked, you know, particularly on a couple of television shows I did with the cast who were much younger than I was. And as soon as they called, you know, we'd be having an, an ensemble scene sitting around a table. And as soon as they called cut, every single one of them whipped out their phones and they spent the whole break that we had on their phones. And I started to think it kind of it seems to me you don't have the kind of connection that we had before with our fellow actors because um, because there's a, a barrier you're you're going into another world on your on your phone. Um, I am not good at social media. I find it intrusive. I I don't particularly enjoy doing it. Um, I, but I'm an old fogey, you know, and I. <laughs> Technology seems to me to be moving too quickly in maybe directions that may not be as healthy for us as as we would wish. And I think for for young actors, it's hard for me to see people who are influencers get the same attention as people who have worked and studied acting and are brilliant actors that that seems an odd balance to me. I mean, there was a, you know, there were models who were beautiful and did wonderful work in that area. And then there were terrific actors. And, uh, and now it's, I don't know, it's just different. And it's, uh, it's hard for me to get behind it and really, but I'm, I'm again, you know, I'm not a 20 something. So there must be something there. I worry about the mental health. I worry about the bullying um, and what it does to people. So it, that I feel like that's a big concern. Um, and you know, you're it's, exposed. Yeah. You're right. exposed. And, you know, for, for so many years, we all tried to maintain our 
privacy and not because there are stalkers and there are strange people out there. And, you know, actors and actresses have had to deal with that. And so it just seems like now you're really exposed and you're exposing detailed information about your lives, which I don't particularly want to have out there. Yeah. Yeah. Not I mean, that anybody's interested. But, but, <laughs> but you know, you're so exposed and, and it could be somebody, you're just walking down the street and somebody has their phone taping something of someone or their child or, you know, something like that. I, I feel for, I think that's got to be really hard, that whole other element. Yeah, that, I feel that way. And yet I also know that, that there are certainly a lot of actors who use that as a way of maintaining being in the public eye which which does help them with when you can say I have two million followers, you know, uh, then c- companies looking to make money, which of course every studio, every you know, every part of our industry is see that and they go, okay, well there's there's our free publicity right there. So it's an interesting conundrum, actually. It is, uh, yeah. <laughs> So with Chantilly Bridge coming out streaming April 14th, what's next for you? You know, have you, do you get the opportunity to kind of pick and choose what you do now or are you always looking for the next project or adventure? Well, I'm, I'm in the fortunate position of not having to work to, to support myself. Uh, so because my husband has worked very hard too, he's a director. So I'm, I'm, I can be pretty choosy. It's not like, I'm being thrown 8 million film scripts every year, you know, but I am doing a movie. I was just offered a movie that I'm going to do um, in June shooting in Malta. I'm going to play Zachary Levi's mother in a film that is a true story called Not Without Hope. And Joe Carnahan has written and is directing it. And it's a lovely script based on a book um, about this event where four guys, including two former football players who were very well known, go out off the coast of Florida and have a problem with their boat. And then a storm comes and it's about that situation. And the storm was so bad, people couldn't rescue them. And uh, and so I play his mother. He's the lead guy who is, you know, trapped on the boat. And, and Pierce Brosnan is in it too. And I'm really looking forward to doing that. And then before that, I'm doing a, a play here in LA, uh, written by a woman named Sandra Tsing Lo with four women, Mary Lou Henner, Caroline Aaron, Melanie Mayron, and myself. And we've been working on it via Zoom and now finally in face to face for the last two years. And so we're going to be doing it at a theater here in LA. Um, and I'm really looking forward to trying it out and seeing what the audience response is to it. Oh, that'll be, we've, we've interviewed Mary Lou Henner. That's yeah. She's great. She's lovely. She's wonderful. Yeah. She's amazing. I mean, she is. I know. I know. I know. We, we were we, so we, nervous. We're like, she will remember every question. <laughs> that we yeah. Make sure they work. She'll remember. Yeah. It. So it, it, you, it sounds like you really love stage work. Um, I do. I mean, that I started in theater, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, of course, in high school plays and college plays, but then I went into repertoire, a repertory company for three years. And then I did theater in New York um, and 
other repertory theater. And, uh, and my first movie was Kramer versus Kramer, which was so exciting and so stunning to me that I got a, a film. Um, but I have continued to do theater throughout my career because it's really my first love. Well, we wish we were in L.A. In the I next know. Because we would well, love to come see us. What is the name of the play? It's called Mad Women of the West. Best of luck on the play and Chantilly Bridge. And we so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. And Thanks. see you again, I hope. Yes, absolutely. I hope so. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank Jo Beth Williams so much for talking to us. That was a wonderful conversation. She is a lovely person. I'm excited to watch Chantilly Bridge. I and, saw yes. it. Oh, you saw it already? Yes. Oh, wow. So, yeah. You guys, I, I just, if you're looking for it, you can find it on Amazon Prime. Uh, well, I want to watch it really soon after we get through recording this. Perhaps I will watch <laughs> it then. Because, you know, the ensemble cast, Ali Sheedy, Jill Eikenberry, Talia Shire, these are people that we grew up with uh, and things that we watched. And Jo Beth Williams just has such a soothing voice. Her voice and, is narrator. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's like it, velvet. She does. She has a wonderful voice. And make sure that you follow us on all of our social media. Listen, rate, and review our podcast. That really helps. The algorithms love that. So, you know, it's the five stars. Okay, go to the five (laughs) stars. Go to the one at the right, the far right, hit that one. So, But thank you all so much for listening. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye. Have a great week. Bye.